So, you know, tonight, I've kind of got good news and bad news. <laughs> the bad news is things are pretty tough in the world right, right now. Like, so, like you don't know that or you don't see that. And not only are they bad, but they're going to get worse. You might not believe that, but it's coming. We know that we're living right now in perilous times. Things are difficult. And me personally, uh, things have been going well for me. My walk with the Lord could be better. It could be worse. But I feel like the Lord has really, really been blessing my heart and my life. And I'm just excited about what God is doing and how he's been using me. But I'll tell you what, I feel like I've been contending with the footmen and the horsemen are coming. That's what I really, really believe. I think hard, hard times are coming for our country. And I would like to just exhort you to pray for our president, to pray for the Congress, for the Senate, for the House of Representatives, for our nation. I know you guys are thinking right now, this guy's from God speaking. He's going to get all political on us. Well, no, I'm not. God is very much into governing his people. Um, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. But we are called as Christians to pray for those in positions of authority. We're called to pray for all men, right? That's what the word of God tells us. And so we need to be praying for our country. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in our study tonight that that is what Jesus tells us to do. When you see all these things take place, look up, pray. Very, very important. So, um, and then also, you know, a couple other quick things. Doug, you guys know Pastor Doug. Well, he asked me to go for like about an hour and 20 minutes tonight because he, ha he has the record for the longest Bible study. And he doesn't like that. He wants me to break it. So, and this is a topic I could probably break it, but I love you guys more than that. <laughs> I won't do that to you. And then, you know, Pastor Josh, you know, I'm kind of disappointed. Um, he, to he told me, he said, Mark, you're teaching on Thursday night. And I'm like, yeah, bro, man. He's like, oh, bring it. He's like, I'm going to be there, baby, front and center. But I didn't know it was from home. Josh, come on, bro. <laughs> I love that, brother. I know we all do. So, and I've heard that Pastor Dave's having a great time. How's it going, Pastor Dave, if you're watching? Um, he's just, he's having a, a, a really sweet time with his wife in the Bahamas and they're getting some rest. And I know Dave, he's a sun worshiper, S-O-N, but he likes to worship the other sun too, right? So he's going to come back real dark. I already know. But it's, it's a blessing to have such a wonderful man of God who loves the word. I have so much in common with Pastor Dave. Not only do we love the word of God, but we understand and interpret the word of God very much the same. His convictions, my convictions concerning the word of God, we are very much the same. And it's always really sweet to be with people that are like that, that, you know, I feel like somebody's reading the same Bible I'm reading. That's always a good thing. <laughs> and it's not the NIV, the nearly inspired version. Okay. No, the best version is the one you're reading. So let that thought go out of your head. All right, tonight we come to our study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, I kind of feel bad to be teaching on this. I, I know that I've never taught this here, but it is one of my favorite scriptures, not because it's an end time scripture, but because it brings the greatest joy and hope and excitement to the life of a believer. It really does, or it should. So 
I know Dave and them like to title things around here, so I titled it Return of the King, and it's not Lord of the Rings. <laughs> this is Return of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You read in Revelation 19, he's got it written on his, on his vesture. So uh, Jesus Christ is going to return. And a lot of people don't realize he's going to return two times. He's coming one time for his bride, the church, and that's what we're talking about tonight. But he's also going to return uh, to set up his kingdom in Revelation chapter 19. You can read that and catch up on that. At that coming, we get to come back with him. He's going to be riding on a white horse and he's coming down to the earth and he's going to step down on the Mount of Olives from the place he ascended to heaven from. And the Mount of Olives is going to cleave in the middle as the word of God tells us. Jerusalem will be under siege and he's going to go in there and kick butt. He's going to set up his kingdom. It's going to be at the end of the tribulation period. So it's just going to be a wonderful time. It's, uh, it's going to be so good to see the Lord set up his kingdom and rule and reign for a thousand years here on the earth. And we get to be part of that. If you're born again, if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to be a part of that um, with the Lord. It's just going to be glorious. So I'm going to read our scripture. Uh, we'll pray again real briefly, and then we'll, we'll get into what I'd like to share with you tonight. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul the Apostle, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I can't help but say that because this is God's word, and he just used Paul to speak it. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus or those who have died in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And Lord, we love your word. We are comforted by the thought that you will come back and you will receive us to yourself. You will do what you have said you're going to do. And Lord, we want you to speak to us, to encourage us again, reprove us, rebuke us, do whatever you need to do, God. We're your kids. We know you love us and we know you've got good things for us because that's just who you are. So Lord, into your gracious hands, we commit the rest of this study and we ask only that your word would be heard, that you would be glorified and your people would be fed and blessed and ready for the the future that you hold for them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so also known as the rapture of the church, the return of the king, the first time, as I said. So the rapture, I've heard people say rapture, you know, that term is not even in the Bible. Well, it is in the Bible. It's just not in our English version. So we've got it kind of broken up here. I've got it on the, in, in the notes. You can see on the screen 
We're going to look at the rapture in three parts of it, what it is, what will it do, and when will it happen. I'm going to tell you when the rapture is going to happen tonight. I'll give you a spoiler alert. Nobody knows, okay? All right, so we're going to look at those, and it's not a real exhaustive uh, study. Uh, like I said, this study could go for a long time, and I've, I've taught it a few times. I was actually teaching it in our home group, and one of the guys there, you know, he, he was really excited, and he was happy about everything, but he's like, Mark, you know, my brain just popped, you know? <laughs> so it was, just, it was just funny. I know there's a lot of information. I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you tonight, so you're going to hear a lot of the Word of God read to you. And I remember Pastor David Hawking. I don't know if you are familiar with him. He's probably one of the best Bible teachers I have ever heard teach the Bible. Uh, he used to say, when people would say to him, Pastor, you read so much scripture. You're always reading so much scripture. And he would say, that's the only time I know I'm right. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that stance too. All right, so as we come now tonight, this word rapture, it actually comes from the words caught up. In the Greek, this word is harpazo, and the Latin Vulgate of that word is, uh, is harpazo, uh, is raptus, from which we get our word, our English word, the rapture. So that's kind of where it originates from, if you didn't know that, out of verse 17. And we who are alive and remain shall be Harpazo, raptus, rapture, we shall be caught up to be with the Lord. So what is it? What is the rapture of the church? Now, first, I've listed here, it is first and foremost, Jesus fulfilling his word. This is probably the most important point of the rapture to me. Jesus will fulfill his word. He promised that he would come back. You're probably familiar with John chapter 14. If you're not, you should be. <laughs> In John 14, it says, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where you are, that where I am, you may be with me also. So Jesus, almost 2000 years ago, made a promise to return and receive the church to himself, his bride to himself. You know, I don't know if you realize it, but in 2032, 10 years from now, I'm pretty smart with math, 10 years from now will be in April at Passover, it will be exactly 2,000 years since Jesus hung on the cross and died for us. Three days later, he rose again. 50 days after that, he ascended and he went to heaven. We're almost at the 2,000 year mark in 10 years from now. But see, Jesus said way back then, almost 2,000 years ago, I will return and receive you unto myself. He made a promise. He doesn't lie. He will come back. I don't care if it's been 10,000 years. The Lord Jesus Christ said it. He will do it. He will come back and he will take his bride to church. In Joshua, there's a lot of places in the Bible, but in the book of Joshua, it says, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. That's our God. He's true to his word. If he said it, you can take it to the bank. The second thing is, it's the greatest family reunion 
of all time. And this is a real exciting part to me. I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of family that was in Christ and that has gone on. I believe my mom's with the Lord. My dad, I hope so. He was pretty bad. He was, he was a loser, but he was a believer. And you never know what somebody does on their deathbed. But I don't have a lot of people. I've, I've recently experienced friends that have lost people. And I've had friends that weren't real close that were believers and have gone on to be with the Lord. But we read in our text tonight that when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring with him all of those who have died in Christ. And then he's going to resurrect their dead bodies. We'll talk about this a little bit more as they go, because it can almost be kind of confusing. Wait, he's bringing with those that, that sleep or have died in Christ. He's going to come back and then raise the dead. Yeah, he's going to resurrect their dust. And then he's going to transform our lowly bodies if it's us. He's going to transform our bodies and catch us all up together to meet him in the cloud. So there is that reference there where Paul uses the word sleep. And I, I like that because it's a reference to those who have died in Christ. And I like the fact that it's used as sleep because if somebody's sleeping, what's that tell you? They're going to wake up. <laughs> and if you have a little baby... Um, and you want to interact with them. Usually it's the kids that I had the most fun with when they were asleep. I'd be like, I can't wait till they wake up, usually. <laughs> but they would wake up and you know I'm going to get to interact with them, get to hug them and tickle them and play with them. And, you know, right now they're sleeping, but I'm going to get to interact with them again. Well, this is what's happening when Jesus brings with him all of those who have died in Christ. They're all coming back. And he's going to give them a new body. And we're going to get caught up and it's going to be the biggest family reunion that you could ever imagine. There's going to be people there you didn't even expect to see. It's just going to be so mind-blowing. I, I can just think about that and I just sit in wonder and awe at how great our God is and what he's doing. It's just going to be so great. I, you know, look at Pastor Dave. I got another friend Craig Winterstrom and Laura Winterstrom just lost their son. You know, they know where he is, but they're just, their hearts are ripped out and they're missing their kids. I, I know quite a few people that are really sorrowful and hurting. But like we read in our text tonight, Paul says, I, I don't want you to sorrow as others who have no hope because if you don't have Jesus Christ, you have no hope. But see, for those of us that are in Christ, we know that our loved ones that have died in Christ are with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. They're coming back. We're going to interact together again forever. The biggest, the greatest family reunion of all time. And it's not a reference to soul sleep, by the way. Just real quickly, there are people that think that your soul goes to sleep for an extended period of time. Until the Lord wakes you up, that's ridiculous. That's not scriptural. Matter of fact, let me read to you a couple of things that Paul said that just don't make sense if there's such a thing as soul sleep. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, Paul said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh... 
This will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two. I'm in between a rock and a hard spot, spot, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. If I remain here in the flesh, that's fruit for my labor. I get to interact with you guys, he's saying to the church, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. And I want to stay here. I want to interact with you. I want to bless you. I want to be used by God to help you. But I know to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I'm in between a rock and a hard spot. I love you guys, but I don't love you guys as much as I love the Lord. (laughs) He doesn't say it like that, but that's kind of what he's thinking. And I don't blame him. He also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, so, so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So yes, it's going to be, as I said, it's going to be God fulfilling his word. It's going to be the greatest reunion in all of history. And then thirdly, it's going to be a sudden and a violent snatching away. And that's what the word rapture implies. The Greek implies a very sudden or even almost like a violent snatching away. It's so sudden, it's like into a twinkling of an eye. We get a good parallel scripture with it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verses 151 through 52, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And no, it's not the seventh trumpet of the book of Revelation, the trumpet judgments. No, it's what we just read. And the Lord himself shall descend with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. That's what we're going to hear. I really believe one day we're going to hear somebody shout. (laughs) We're going to hear this commanding voice, much, you know, just super, super strong. And look up and we're going to hear the trumpet and the Lord's going to be there. Come up here and we're gone. We're out of here. We're with the Lord. So it's going to be a sudden, a violent snatching away. It's also going to be a physical resurrection for those who have died in Christ, as I've already made reference to the fact that he's going to resurrect the dust, the dead body. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 39 through 46, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised the spiritual body. There is a spiritual body and there is a, or there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, referring to Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward, the spiritual. Important note, the only type of resurrection the Bible teaches is bodily in nature. The Hebrew, the Greek, both of them use the term resurrection unless it is used in a figurative way, which is very, very seldom. It always refers to the body, never to the immaterial nature or soul of a man. So when Jesus comes back, he's bringing with them those who have died in Christ. 
He's going to find their dust. <laughs> and he's going to do what he did with Adam. He's going to grab a handful of dust. Now, I might be reading a little more into it, but don't, don't be surprised if God doesn't just blow your mind with what he does. And he's going to fashion a new body for each and every person that has died in Christ. And then he's going to transform us. And it's all going to happen in a, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. God can do anything. Pastor Chuck used to say, if you can get past Genesis 1-1, you're good to go. You shouldn't have any problem with anything else. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you can get past that verse, you shouldn't have any problem with anything else that God is going to do. So it's going to be a physical resurrection, and it's also going to be a metamorphosis uh, for those who are alive on the earth when it happens, he says in 1 Corinthians again, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? And again, just all of the death and stuff that I've seen in the last few years, and even though it hasn't been very close to home for me, it's been very difficult. But the time is coming that death is swallowed up in victory. And the sting of death, yeah, it's the power of sin, but Jesus conquered the grave. He forgives our sin. And now he's going to bring us to himself. He's going to give us new bodies and we're going to be caught up into his glorious presence and forever be with the Lord. It's kind of like right at this point, when I think of the new bodies, ladies, guess what? You're not going to care how you look. <laughs> you won't even care what your hair looks like. Nothing like that. He's got a brand new body for you and it's going to be perfect. Pastor Chuck would say, I'm going to be four foot wide, seven foot tall, long blonde hair. I look kind of like Pastor Chuck. I'm just as bald as him. And I've got a lot of his features, poor Chuck. So we're going to have new bodies. It's going to be glorious. So, so that's part one, uh, the rapture, you know. Um, so what is it? I know that it's so much more than this, but I'm just kind of giving you some of the things that are near to my heart concerning the return of our king. Our, our bridegroom who's gone away to prepare a place for it. Can you imagine what it's going to look like, this place he's been preparing for 2,000 years? <laughs> it's going to be glorious. I can't wait to see it. So what will it do? Well, it'll bring supernatural signs and wonders upon the earth. First thing I've written down. Now, in Isaiah chapter 13, speaking of this time, the day of the Lord, the time of great tribulation, when I read it, you will know that this is definitely the time of great tribulation. It could be no other time. Listen to what it says. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate 
and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts. Now, there's a few things in there that are mentioned by Jesus in the New Testament. For one, he mentions the fact that it's going to come as pains on a woman in uh, ready to give birth. Uh, another one, we're told that the stars and the constellations are not going to give their light. And then another one, he talks about how rare man will be if he doesn't cut it short. He says, a matter of a fact, no flesh would be saved unless those days were shortened. And for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. You see, this is the first thing that we see. There is going to be supernatural signs and wonders upon the earth when the Lord comes and takes his bride away. It will also usher in the reign of the Antichrist. I got to keep an eye on time because I'm not breaking Doug's record, no, no matter what. Okay, it will usher in the reign of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by a word or by a letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless there, a falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so this scripture is very, very clear and to the point. It is concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him. He says there's a falling away that will come first. That word falling away is apostasia. So we know it as apostasy. There will be an apostasy first. I believe there's a twofold meaning that is right there. Yeah, there's an apostasy. The church is going to be in an apostate state which it is today. I'm talking the whole church, not Calvary Chapel, Caneo Valley. You guys are on fire for the Lord. They're, they're, God always has his remnant of people, but the church as a whole is very lukewarm, even cold, and is in a terrible place, in a state of apostasy. But the word apostasy there, the way it's translated in the Greek, it really literally means a departure. It's a departure. So it's a departure from the faith, apostasy, or it's a departure, both of them, actually a departure from the world. The church is out of here and we're gone. We're departing and leaving this world. So it's going to usher in the reign of the Antichrist. And as I mentioned, it will also separate the hot from the cold. Did you know that there are people in the church that will be left behind, people that are church goers, let's just say, they're gonna be left behind when the Lord comes and takes his church. Matter of fact, in Revelation, Jesus talking to the church at Thyatira, 
he says to them, and remember, he's speaking to the church, not to the Gentiles, to the church. He says, behold, I will cast her, and he's referencing Jezebel. Remember, Jezebel was married to Ahab in the northern kingdom of Israel, and she was very heavily involved in the spiritual apostasy and adultery, fornication, spiritual fornication. In other words, worshiping that which is not God, Baal worship and so on. And he's saying there were people in league with her just in the sense that they were in the spiritual state of apostasy. So he, he uses her as an example and he says, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. This is, he's speaking to the church. I believe there's a lot of people in the church that are playing games and they're gonna find themselves left behind. That doesn't mean I think they're gonna be lost. Matter of fact, I think they're gonna make it. And I might be wrong. I'm probably one of the only guys you're gonna hear say this. But I really think that some people, let's say you're here tonight and everybody's gone but you. <laughs> and you've been playing some games with God, <laughs> I think you're going to get right. I really do. I think you're going to see the light. You're going to realize, hey, I know what happened, and they're gone, and I'm here. And it's, it's really going to turn the light on in your life. Jesus also said in Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 15 through 16, to the Laodicean church, he said, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. So then, since you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. We're familiar with that, or we should be. And then the one that Jesus told to his disciples when he was talking about end time stuff, I wrote this one down. Out of Luke, he said to them, but take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who, who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You see these end times things going on. What's Jesus telling us to do? Watch and pray. For what? That you would be counted worthy to escape. That means there are those that are going to escape. There are those that are going to be raptured and taken away. And the key is watch and pray. And if you do, if I do, that day will not overtake us as a thief, even though it will come as a thief in the night. And we'll see that in another scripture as we go on. So that brings us up to the third part in my outline here. We've looked at what is the rapture, what will it do, and when will it be? Um, we, what we do and we do not know. Now, we don't know the day or the hour. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm quoting out of Mark, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So speaking of this day that the Son of Man has revealed, that he comes back, reveals himself, and takes his church home, nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody. I don't know the day or the hour. I just know we're close. And even if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, I'm kind of a bad example because I'm kind of old and I'm ready to croak, you know. <laughs> and, I, and you know what? If he takes me home, praise the Lord, I can't wait to go. But 
I just realize the things that are going on as I study my Bible, I see that we're really ripe. We're really, really close. I don't know if it's going to be 10 years, one year, 20 years. I don't know. And I really don't care. But I'm excited that we're one day and one hour closer. That's what the text implies. Nobody knows the day and the hour. That means right now we're one day closer. And from last hour, now we're one hour closer. There's a set time that is set by the Father, and he is going to bring it to pass at his certain time. I believe he's going to say, son, it's time. Go get your bride. Yes, sir. And he's out, and he's going to grab his bride, and we're gone. He's going to show up in the sky with all of those that have died, and he's going to catch us up to be with him forever and ever. Jesus said, not even the son knows the day of the hour. In our home group that I teach, one of the guys asked me, well, Mark, don't you think that, you know, he knows now? (laughs) Who cares? I mean, what's it matter if he knows now or not? No, I think he doesn't know because he said he doesn't know, but he's God and he knows everything. Yeah, I agree. He's God and he knows everything, but this is something that God, and even Jesus himself said he doesn't know. So I'm always going to side with him and not with you. (laughs) I will always side with the word of God. Jesus said, the father is greater than I. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Me and the father are one, but the father is greater than I. Guess what I think? I think the father's greater than the son because the son told me and I have no problem believing what he says. So we know that we don't know the day or the hour. We see the signs of the times and when we see them, we're exhorted, look up, pray that you might be counted worthy to escape. Don't be caught up in the cares of this life and drunkenness and carousing, all the things that I used to do. And I don't, of course, do that anymore. I've been away from that for 40 plus years. But, you know, he says those things will distract you. They'll choke you out. They'll take you away from walking with the Lord. And that day will overtake you as a thief in the night. You won't see it coming. That's his warning to us. So we don't know the day or the hour. And what we do know, first, it's going to happen suddenly. And that's actually, I've already covered it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a couple of verses here. It's going to happen very, very quickly. Um, like a, um, the twinkling of an eye. You remember there's references in the gospel where it says one person in the field taken, one left, one woman grinding at the mill, one taken, one left, two men in a bed, one taken, one left. And they're asking, you know, Lord, where? Where are they going to? And he says, well, where the eagles are, there the body or where the body is, there the eagles shall be gathered. A lot of the translations that we have say the vultures, but it's not a good translation. It really means just the eagles. And so where the body is, the eagles don't go to the body. The eagles like to eat, kill and eat their meat, right? They're not a, they're not a buzzard. That's why they translated it to a buzzard or a vulture. But see, really, and it's just my opinion, I really think, you know who the body is that he's talking about? The church that's with the Lord. And actually, when the rapture comes, the body, the church, will not be here any longer. We will all be with the Lord. And the Lord sees you and me if we're walking in the grace of Jesus Christ and in the power of his Holy Spirit. He sees us as eagles, my opinion. He's going to catch us up and we're going to be one with him in heaven forever. So it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen unexpectedly, but it's going to happen unexpectedly to those who aren't watching. Jesus had used the story of Noah. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. 
They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they taught, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, in that text right there, there are people that think that we're going to go through some of the wrath of God. You know, the, the seven-year tribulation period, I'm going to talk about that quickly in a minute, quickly and briefly, because it's, it's a whole study of itself. But there are people that think that we're actually going to be in that seven-year period of time. That period of time is when God is pouring out his wrath, and we are not appointed unto the wrath of God as we're going to see. We're going to be with the Lord. However, you're, you're free to believe how you want. If God leaves me here to go through the tribulation period, praise God, bring it. I know we're in the tribulation, man. We got seven years to go. If I'm mid-trib, I got three and a half years to go. And the Lord's coming. And I'm not taking the mark of the beast, not because I just simply know better. There's going to be angels flying through heaven saying, don't take the mark of the beast. It's not a satellite launched by Trinity Broadcasting Network. That's not it. God is very gracious. And he's given everybody the last opportunity. Don't take the mark of the beast. Very visual. Everybody's going to see and hear. Sadly, a lot will still do it. And of course, many um, that hate God are just shaking their fist that God don't want nothing to do with God. But when he uses Noah and Lot, he's using something that basically says it's going to be life as usual. Eating, drinking, planting, building, buying, selling, marrying, giving in marriage. Life as usual, everything's going on until the day the Son of Man is revealed and the rapture of the church happens and we're gone. Then the whole world's going to turn upside down. In the Revelation, the book of Revelation, we know that at least five-eighths of the total earth population will be killed. If there's eight billion, five billion, gone. It's going to be heavy devastation going on when God pours out his wrath. So it's going to happen very quickly. It's going to happen unexpectedly. It's going to happen when they say peace and safety. We have this scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 2, and 3. It says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, we're going to see later that that day doesn't overtake the church because we're children of the light. So don't get confused right here. But it is going to happen uh, when they're speaking peace and safety. I don't know if you follow what's going on in the Middle East, but Israel right now is getting ready to hit Iran because of this nuclear deal that our president wants to sign. And I don't really want to get into all of that. It's a really bad deal for the whole world. Basically, Iran gets all of the sanctions lifted. They get all kinds of money, and they're going to still have a bomb. They're still going to have a nuclear bomb. And Israel has said, we're not going to let that happen. We stand aside from anybody else. We have the right, we have the sovereignty to defend ourselves, and that's what we're going to do. They've sent some of their F-35s, the stealth fighters, into Iranian airspace several times already without being detected. So they've, they've got the groundwork. If you know Israel very well and what they've done in the past, 
They don't give out idle threats. That's why I think it's gonna get a lot worse. You know, Russia's at war with Ukraine. And now if Israel decides to hit Iran and Iran gets all uptight, which they will, and then if China decides it wants to go ahead and uh, try to take Taiwan, it's gonna get a little dicey. <laughs> We're gonna be running with the horsemen. Are you ready? It's coming. I really believe it's coming. So we also know that it's gonna come before the 70th week of Daniel. And I can't really talk about this because like I said, it's a whole study of itself. If you go into Daniel chapter nine, you see that the angel Gabriel came to Daniel as he's praying and he laid out to him these 77s that were determined for him and his people, that's the Jewish people and the holy city, that's Jerusalem. It all pertains to Jerusalem and the Jewish people. So there's 77 or seven weeks of sevens. We know that after 69, the Messiah would be cut off. And we do all the math real quickly. We realize that on April 6 to April 9 of 32 AD, Jesus came from uh, when the decree went forth in 445 BC by Artaxerxes, historical document, we know that it's a, a solid date. There was going to be 69 seven-year periods of time according to the Babylonian calendar. When you do all the math and all the work, and by the way, Sir Robert Anderson, he did all of this. He was the head at Scotland Yard, so he was like MI6 number one dog or whatever. <laughs> you know, this guy was like Sherlock Holmes of the day. And he's like, okay, if this is true, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And he he did his research and guess what? He gave his life to Christ because he realized this can't happen by chance. Jesus is the Messiah. He rode the donkey down the hill on that very day that was prophesied. There's a 99% accuracy from the naval observatory charts and all, I mean, it's just crazy. Like I said, we could talk about it for a long time, but after the period of time where the Messiah was cut off, there's still one seven-year period of time that is left, the 70th week of Daniel. And we're told there um, in Daniel that the prince of the people who is to come will confirm a covenant with the many, with the children of Israel for one week. There's the 70th week. That's how we know that the tribulation period is a seven-year period of time. Now, some people think that in the middle of that time is when God really pours out his wrath. Now, they might be right. I don't know. But I do know this. There's seven seals. There's seven trumpets. And there's seven vile judgments. And you can read all of those and you realize it is really, really difficult for those on the earth when those seals are broken, when the trumpets are blown, and when the vials are poured out upon the earth. It is a very difficult time because it's when God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. We also know in Daniel that it says he's gonna break that covenant that he makes of that seven-year period right in the middle. We know that from the, book of, from the book of Daniel. We know that he's gonna break it. If I'm mid-trip or post-trip, now, by the way, Calvary Chapel, we are pre-trip. I know Pastor Dave's pre-trip. <laughs> so if you got some problems with this, Talk to Dave, because I probably won't be here too much. But you're welcome to talk with me. I'd love to talk with you about it. If I'm pre-trib and somebody rises to power and signs a covenant with the children of Israel, whatever that covenant might be, 
It's not gonna happen in secret. I'm gonna know, the whole world's gonna know. Somebody rose to power, made an agreement with the children of Israel for a seven year period. So if I'm mid-trib and I see this man rise to power and make this covenant, I know that Jesus is coming back in the middle because I'm mid-trib. I know when Jesus is returning. That's why it doesn't work for me. There's no scenario that works for me according to that scripture. So th these things are gonna happen. Since I know when the covenant is made, I know the middle of it, I know when Jesus is coming back again, but Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour that these things are gonna happen. Now, just a quick side note, the first seal that is broken, if you're in Revelation chapter five, you see God the Father on the throne, you see the 24 elders, the, the living creatures, um, you see... Uh, a lamb standing before the throne as if it had been slain, Jesus, and a strong angel proclaiming who is worthy because God the Father on the throne, he's got this scroll that is sealed with seven seals. Who's worthy to go take the scroll from his hand and to loose the seals thereof? And nobody's found worthy. John weeps much. The angel says, weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain. Jesus goes up, takes the scroll. He looses the first seal. The first seal is... And I saw a white horse go out and him who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. Now, most everybody believes, and I'm one of those that believe it's the Antichrist. He's got a bow. He's a man of war. He's going out to conquer and he is crowned. He's going to become a ruler. All of this stuff happens and you'll see in a minute after the church comes out of the great or right before the great tribulation happens. So it will happen before the 70th week of Daniel and the 70th week of Daniel will be right on its heels, I'm sure. So we know the church will not be here on the earth and this is how we know. These are a few scriptures. We know the church won't be here because we're children of the light. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses four through six, but you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light. And sons of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as, other do, as others do, but let us watch and be sober. The day is not going to take you guys, brothers, because you're children of the light. Don't forget that scripture. We also know that we won't be here because God has not appointed us to wrath. First Thessalonians chapter 5 9 through 10, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we, that whether we live or die, whether we wake or sleep, he says, we should live together with him. God has not appointed us to wrath. You're his bride. You're his son's bride. He's not going to pour his wrath on you. We're going to be judged by him at the believer's judgment. He will allow difficult things to come on our life to refine us and to shape us, to purify us, to purge us. He turns our lives upside down pretty good when we start to stray. But it's all because he loves us and he's working a bigger purpose than you and I can get our pea brains around. But he hasn't appointed us to wrath. He's gonna pour his wrath out on a Christ-rejecting world. The Bible tells us that. We know we won't be here because the restraining influence spoken of in 2 Thessalonians is first removed and then the lawless one, the Antichrist is revealed. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, uh, 2, verses 7 through 8, it says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. If I see the Antichrist rise to power, cut a covenant, I know when Christ is coming back. And if I've got all my eschatology wrong, that's okay. I'm ready. Bring it. I haven't heard a good argument about being pre-trib. <laughs> I, I pray, God, you want me to go through the tribulation? I'll go. As long as you go with me, I'll be like the children in the fire. As long as you're with me, God, it's good. Amen. He's going to take care of us. So the restraining influence, and many believe, I believe it's the Holy Spirit working in and through the church. And when that is removed, the devil is just going to turn this whole place really, really bad. I mean, it's bad right now, but can you imagine the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit being removed from the world? It's going to be a difficult, difficult time. So we know that the church won't be here because God's wrath isn't poured out on his son's bride. It's poured out after the church age. As I said, in Revelation chapter four, in Revelation, it's broken up into three groups. The things that you've seen, the things that are, and the things that shall be after these things. So John was told to write the things that you've seen. You've seen the Lord on the island of Patmos. He wrote all about his glory, what he saw. And then he was given seven letters to churches in Asia Minor, not the only seven churches, but to these specific churches for a specific reason, and we can't get into that for time. But nevertheless, then after that, he looked up and he saw a door open in heaven and a voice said, come up here. And immediately he was caught up into the throne room of God and he sees all that we talked about or some of what we talked about in chapter five, where he sees the father with the scroll, the 24 elders, many believe, are representative of the church because they sing a song that says, we were redeemed by your blood. The angels haven't been redeemed. These are redeemed men, very possibly representative leaders of the church, just like the Levites were broken up into 24 divisions in the Old Testament. And actually, Abijah, that division, Abijah, is the division that um, Zacharias came from. He was the one burning incense <laughs> when Gabriel showed up and he lost his voice. Remember the story? So, you know, it, it's so, it ties in so well with the Old Testament, New Testament, and all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So John looks up and he hears a voice saying, come up here and I will show you the things that must take place after these things, after the church age. As soon as the, God's done talking to the churches, come up here. We're done with the church age. And now he's in heaven and he's beholding what's going on on the earth. I hope this kind of helps you to understand a little bit better. This is very much Calvary Chapel theology. I know there's a lot of people that perhaps in Calvary Chapel that would differ on a few things. 
And really, it doesn't matter. Again, I really don't care. I always pray, God, if, I'm, if I've got some things wrong, please show me. I'm not worried about a lot of this stuff is not salvific, like we're going to lose our salvation. But you know, this is the most exciting thing in the Bible to me is to know that Jesus is coming back again. He's coming back. He's going to take us home. I want to tell other people, especially when I see the time drawing near, I see the things going on. I'm at work and I'm talking to people and they, oh man, you see what's going on? I say, yeah, the Lord's on, on the throne, man. He's at the door. He's waiting for his father to say, son, go get your bride. It really opens up the door to talk to people. So in conclusion, the rapture, the coming of the king, it will happen as God's word says. It will be the greatest family reunion of all time. It will happen suddenly and it will be unexpected for those not watching. It will usher in the rise of the Antichrist. It will usher in the final covenant with Israel, also known as the 70th week of Daniel. It will bring glorified bodies to all believers, past and present. It will bring God's wrath to be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And it will bring salvation to millions of people. Because there's a lot of people when they get left behind, they're going to realize, hey, those people that are gone, they were the most loving, kind people I've known. And the answer that is out there for why they're gone doesn't fit. It doesn't work. In, in Revelation chapter 7, we're told that there's a multitude, a great multitude from every people, language, tribe, and tongue that is standing before the throne of God. And John is asked, these people that are standing there with white robes and palm branches in their hands, where'd they come from? And he's like, dude, you know, <laughs> I don't know. These are they which came out of the great tribulation period and they've washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. It's not the church. Some people try to say it's the church. No, it's not the church. You got too many other scriptures. You got to explain if that's the church. And I'll leave that up to all the theologians. So the king is coming. He's coming soon. He loves you. He's got a plan for you, a purpose for you. And uh, our hearts should be just filled with joy and excitement knowing that we're getting so close. And even if it is, like I think, going to get a lot harder, the horsemen are coming. That's okay. The Lord is with us. And he will give us the grace to walk the path that he puts before us. He's always working in a way that's way, way beyond us. But he's a good God. He's sovereign. He's in control. And everything that comes our way passes right through his sovereign hand. And we can just rest in what he's doing. Just like Job. You know, naked I came into the world naked I'm going to leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's, that should be our heart. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, again for this night. Thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for the excitement that there is. Um, just knowing that you're on the throne in control and that you're close, Lord. I believe you're at the door. And whether that door opens in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years from now, I know, Lord, it's just going to be the perfect time because you've said there is a day, there is an hour, and we're one day and one hour closer now. So, Lord, we rejoice in what you've done, what you're doing. We look forward to what you're going to do. We pray your anointing, God, on Calvary Chapel of Caneo Valley, on Pastor Dave and Lynette and their family, the difficulties, God, please touch, strengthen, encourage them, fill them fresh, with your spirit, God, let them be anointed with fresh oil. 
Let them feel fresh wind and fresh fire as they come back here to minister to uh, your people, God, the people you love so much. Thank you for loving us, God. We don't deserve it, but we thank you for it. And we trust you for the future. We trust you for everything, Father, in Jesus' mighty name.